Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's good, everybody? Happy Monday. Welcome back to the NBA Exchange. I'm your host, Dexter Henry. A lot went on this past weekend. We saw game three of the NBA Finals. The Bucks got back into this. We also saw Team USA do something that we're not used to seeing them do in exhibitions. And also back to that game three, we saw former University of Pittsburgh guy. You know, I like that. Cam Johnson give P.J. Tucker the business. All that coming up for us to talk on the NBA Exchange. The NBA Finals got a whole lot more interesting after the Suns had taken a 2 to nothing lead in the series. The Bucks, they won in Game 3, 120-100. Nice blowout victory for the Bucks as they cruised to their first victory of the series. To talk with me about this series and so much more around basketball is my co-host. He rocks with me every week on the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. My man, Brian Fonseca. B, what's up, man? How you doing? Doing all right, doing better than the Phoenix Suns today, and uh, doing all right considering uh, an eventful week last week, and I'll leave that there. It is an, was an eventful week for many in the world of sports. Brian, a uh, great sports writer and also author. We'll get to the author part a little bit later as well. Now, Brian, Bucks, big win last night for them. Had to get this at home. Are you impressed with what happened, or is this what you expected to happen with the Bucks returning to Milwaukee for Game 3? Yeah, you kind of anticipated that with the Bucks being on their home floor and the Phoenix Suns going up to oh, I did not think that Phoenix was going to sweep them. There were some people who, you know, took games one and two and said like, oh, this looks like it's going to be it. This looks like, you know, Milwaukee's not going to put up a fight. And the way Giannis played in game two in particular, which he carried over to game three, gave me some sort of optimism. So I thought that he, you know, was going to come out strong and he did. He's actually having like an all-time NBA final so far, specifically in games two and three that Phoenix hasn't been able to contain. They were able to get over that and win on their home floor, but in Milwaukee, it was a different story. So I think that Milwaukee did exactly what they were supposed to in game three. Now the test is going to be, you know, beating Phoenix in back-to-back games, which they haven't done. But I think on their home floor is possible because as good as I thought they were in game three, they weren't necessarily perfect. There's still room to get better. And, you know, we'll see what that entails for uh, game four. Always room to get better. And they got the win here. You talked about Giannis. Giannis has been incredibly impressive in the last two games, back-to-back 40-point games. So really impressive. I think most of, one of the most impressive things be here is the fact that Giannis has done this after the hyperextension of the knee against the Hawks. There was talk that he might not even play again for the rest of this season. How impressed have you been with how Giannis has looked on the court and how he's bounced back? over these last two games. Well, he's not being a running back anymore. You know what I mean? Like, he's not doing the shit where he gets the ball 
27 feet out and is sort of backpedaling. And it's like, all right, here we go. And you know he's going to Euro step one direction or the other. Maybe he'll get a spin if you play up and you're on his left or right side and he'll just spin around, go to the other side. But he's not necessarily gearing up to run right into you anymore. He's more so, I mean, he's, you know, do it a time or two, but he's more so like working from inside the paint. He's posting up dudes. He's doing the things that we all wanted to see. Like he was, he had the ball down low on Jay Crowder yesterday and sort of easily just, you know, bumped him, spun, got a shot and won. Like he's doing more of that stuff and working from inside. And that's making it easier for him. That's the main thing. When he has to try to create and do as Tyrese Halliburton told Zach Lowe and Brian Windhorst, the hackback, the halfback dives you know, when he's just going straight into dudes, like that's a lot of work for him because he has to run out from a distance and try to create whatever. And it doesn't make sense. Instead, why don't you cut that 16, 17 feet out, 14 feet out, maybe even 10 feet out. You're seeing a lot of times that he's being used as a role man in the pick and roll situation where he's just setting the screen. And then all of a sudden, you know, he gets the ball back after giving the handoff and he's wide open because of the screen action. And he's at the rim and it's two easy points or he gets the foul. And he was going to the free throw line a lot last night. So it's as perfect of, as a game as you'll see from him individually. I think the team still has room for improvement, which is why you should be optimistic about them playing better in game four on their home floor. But I think the way that he's being utilized now and he's defending well, let's put that out there too. But the way he's being utilized now offensively, like this is what we've sort of been calling for. And I think this is how you unlock the best version of Giannis as we've seen these last two games. I agree. Giannis has almost looked like a completely different player if you look at the start of this postseason to where he is now, and it's very impressive. But even more so impressive, it can't just be the Giannis alone. He got some help from his guys, the supporting cast. Drew Holiday, 21 points in this contest. Chris Middleton also added in 18 as well, and they actually shot the ball decently. That has to help. These guys finally showing up. How important is it for them to show up if they're going to even this series in Game 4 Wednesday night? Yeah, they have to be consistent. That's the thing that we haven't quite seen from them enough yet, specifically Drew Holiday on offense. But he was, you know, you saw him knock down some threes yesterday. That's, that's a good sign. And Chris Middleton, he was better in game two, but in game one, he struggled. Like, you need consistency from those guys because what happens is if they're not consistent or if they're not playing well, then the bench, which is already thin, has to overcompensate. And you're looking at basically Bobby Portis and Pat Connaughton because they're not trying to put Jeff Teague out there for too long. And Bryn Forbes, he hasn't been making shots. And when he's not making shots, then they're not going to have him out there on the floor because he's there to make shots like Steve Novak once was, like Matt Bonner once was, like Joe Harris is for the Nets. If Bryn Forbes is not hitting his threes, you're not really going to play him that much. So they're going to need Middleton and uh, Drew Holiday to be consistent so that the bench doesn't have to overexert itself even when Giannis has a big 40-point game. You know, that's how you have a well-balanced attack. The reason Phoenix beat them those first two games was because their offense was more well-balanced. You look at their box score, there's a 22 here, a 27, an 11, a 10, an 18. Like, it's all, like, sort of balanced instead of it being on the other side where Milwaukee would be, like, 40 for Giannis, 20-some for Middleton, and then nobody else barely has double digits. Like, it can't be that. Can't be that if they are going to win. Now, a lot of people can look at this series and say, hey, the Suns did what they had to do at the home. Now it's time for the Bucs to do what they need to do at home. The Bucs got the first part done in winning game three. But what does the win in game three mean for the Bucs in this series? Do you feel like the Bucs are back in it or are you not ready to go there just yet? <clears throat> no, I think they're back in. I'm, I'm ready to say that the Bucs will win game four. 
but I just don't think it'll be dominant in the same way. I think Phoenix is going to play better. I think it's going to be a lot closer. Uh, Devin Booker hasn't had like an awesome NBA finals, though he's had some high scoring games. He's needed a lot of shots to get those points. And I think the Milwaukee's defense has to, you know, take some credit for that. But I also think Devin Booker is going to wake up at some point and you don't want the Devin Booker game to come on your home floor. So you have to be ready for that because I don't think he's going to put up another, you know, I remember him being three for 14 at one point last night. I forget where he finished, but I think that Milwaukee probably wins a tight one in game four. I think that I'm ready to say like they're definitely back in the series. I don't know if they're going to win the series, but, you know, it'd be it'd be mildly surprising if they lost game four. Mildly surprising, even if it's Milwaukee and they've been hard to bet on. But given what I've seen from Giannis, especially these last two games, I feel a little bit more confident that they can get certain things done. Booker did finish three for 14, 10 points in last night's loss uh, to the Suns. Moving away from the finals for a bit, there is some other basketball going on internationally. I know something Brian loves, that international basketball. And Team USA, they played an exhibition game uh, the other night against Nigeria. They lost, folks. Team USA lost to Nigeria. I have some concerns about <laughs> the roster construction here with Team USA. Our boy Gerard Hector doesn't like the roster construction here for Team USA. So the question has to be asked, should we be concerned about Team USA's three-point loss to Nigeria? Is this something we should be concerned about with them heading to the Olympic Games? Is this the team you want representing us with uh, your boy Kevin Love on the roster? I put it to you this way, like, I think there's room for concern. I'm not more concerned about this than I am about the virus shutting shit down over there in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because, yes, there's a hierarchy. Other, other things matter a little, a little bit more. Yes. You know, like, I, I think there's room to be concerned, but I wouldn't drive myself crazy because, I mean, even though there are some pretty damning numbers, right? It's like, Nigeria is good. They're not one of the very best teams that are going to be of the 12 in the Olympics. They do have half of their roster comprised of NBA dudes, but the guy who put you away was Gabe Vincent, a Miami Heat two-way who came into their organization as a shooter and struggled with his shot in the two years he's been there um, and was more up and down last year when, you know, the G League was sort of normal <laughs> before COVID. And the Team USA roster, while not great, not yet complete either, still waiting on Middleton, Drew, Booker, and on top of that, uh, they're just not, they have no chemistry at all right now. And you could tell because a lot of these dudes are damn near all of these dudes haven't really played together before outside of maybe all-star games and, you know, some runs in the summer. I know Bam and uh, and uh, Jason Tatum are close or appear to be close. So I'm sure that they've like played together or whatever in the summer and things like that. But that's different from here. And, you know, this is, this is good for them. I think this is a good wake-up call for them. But I'm not going to freak out too much about it when you were forced to play Sadiq Bey uh, five minutes and Darius Garland six minutes. Although, them playing more than Kevin Love was uh, interesting as well. And I do wonder what happens uh, because after the NBA Finals, like, are we 1,000% sure Devin Booker, Drew Holiday, and or Chris Middleton are going to be out there? And what's the plan for them if they're not? That's what I would be like, oh, that's a little, you know, that's a little concerning about. You know what I mean? And Kevin Durant's not going to shoot, you know, four for 13 all the time. I don't, at least I don't think so or whatever. And, you know, Damian Lillard was, I think, four for 10. And Bradley Beal was like one for six or something like that. Like the numbers weren't great. But I don't, I think those are going to level out too. They just got to hit some shots. We shall, we shall see. Because if it doesn't level out, doesn't happen, there's going to be more concern, more panic 
before they head to Tokyo. But Brian uh, talked about how he's a sports writer, also an author, just recently released his first book, Hidalgo Heights, Victims Are Taking Up Space. You can order that on Amazon right now. I wanted you to tell me a little bit about the book and also how basketball, because we're both big basketball fans, what was the influence of basketball in telling the stories of these Latino characters in your novel? Latino and black characters. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I will say this, like, I don't, I'm not saying that I did it perfectly, but I did it in a way that I know is, uh, is very authentic, right? And these characters, a big part of what they're trying to do, without giving too much away, because obviously you want people to go get it, is basketball is a major part of this. And they're using it as sort of this refuge and this escape and this distraction while there's a lot of real shit going on around them in terms of just survival. And basketball is part of that need to survive. These kids are in high school and these kids are trying to like, man, like, could you know, is it... Can I use this as an escape? Can I use this to get get rid of my problems? Can I use this to potentially get a scholarship? Does it even matter how good we are at the high school level? Like these are questions that they're asking themselves as they're sort of navigating this. And this in this story, uh, all the kids or the main kids rather are juniors in high school, and that's a very important year in terms of like potentially getting a scholarship or things of that nature, because you know your senior year, like that's when things are already getting filled out. A lot of offers have already come down, and if you don't have anything by then, unless you're a real late bloomer, it's kind of tough. So this is a big year for those kids, and yeah, I think basketball sort of affects and symbolizes a lot. Because, I mean, we know stories from our community's decks where, you know, people use that as a sort of way, as a crutch to sort of make things better and get out of their neighborhoods. And whether it's just for peace, whether it's later on for money, being professional. How many kids do you and I know that they grew up in a shitty situation, grew up in the hood, and they were able to make a good career for themselves overseas? And that this sort of that process starts very, very early, which a lot of people don't realize. And there's a ton of pressure even at the high school level on that, on top of dealing with, you know, your daily life situation where you just don't have a lot. So yeah. Yeah, I think it's important for us to tell those stories when our community sports has always been one of the ways, I want to say the only way, but one of the ways out. And like you said, sometimes it's also a refuge for people in these communities. So beautiful that you're able to tell those stories. Again, Hidalgo Heights, the victims are taking up space. You can get that, order that on Amazon right now, get that copy. I know I have mine, still in the process of reading it. Really good book. Please check that out. Support Brian on that. Brian, before we wrap here, we got to ask, to go back to the finals, right? Mm. Game four is Wednesday, and we're looking ahead to that. What do you expect to see on Wednesday? You would think the crowd's going to be amped up in Milwaukee. Bucks will come out with energy, but the Suns want to get one on the road so they can hopefully go back to Phoenix and celebrate and close this mm. out. So what do you expect to see uh, on Wednesday in game four? I think that we finally get the Bobby Portis, Jay Crowder kerfuffle that I've been waiting for. <laughs> That's what I think we get. It's been brewing. You know what I mean? But something with Bobby Portis is brewing because a lot was going on last game where he was on the floor diving for loose balls, the crowd chanting Bobby because they, they love him and he's going to be a free agent this year. So I feel like they're going to have to uh, try to get him back because there are definitely some other teams that are watching this, this playoffs and watching the NBA finals and seeing the moments that he's had and seeing that he uh, can help a playoff team like I've been saying. Uh, on a serious note, though, or partially serious, 
Yeah, I do think that the Bucks are going to get this done. I do think that they're like something about role players playing at home in the playoffs. And we've seen this play out every game this series. We saw Phoenix control sort of the tempo and their role players really feed off that crowd in games one and two. And I think we're going to see it again with Milwaukee game four as we did in game three. So I think it'll be a little more narrow, though. I don't expect Chris Paul and Devin Booker and DeAndre Ains to just roll over and go away quietly. And Monty Williams is obviously a great coach. It's going to have them prepared and have a great game plan for them, um, you know, to build on some of the good things that they were able to establish in game three, though there weren't many. But I do think that the role players, the Pat Connaughton's, the Bobby Portis's, like they're going to step up. Brooke Lopez is somebody who feeds off that crowd as well. And I expect another big game for Giannis. Holiday and Middleton have to come through, though. So I'm interested to see like what the defensive strategy is going to be from Phoenix because they were trying to trap Middleton and that wasn't quite working because <laughs> Giannis would end up with the ball and get an easy dunk. Uh, Middleton, a good passer for uh, forward as well. So I think that, you know, Monty Williams is going to have to think up some things to do defensively to try to negate those two because it looks like Giannis is kind of just going to get his and what you want is nobody else to get theirs. But easier said than done in the NBA Finals. Going to be interesting. Also, be interesting to see if Phoenix shoots a lot better than they did, especially from downtown, only 29% in game three. That's Brian Fonseca, great sports writer. You can catch his work wherever you can find that. And you can also get that book, Hidalgo Heights. We showed it to you. One more showed time. It to you again. Yeah. One more time. You got to see it. Hidalgo Heights, the victims are taking up space. It should take up space on your bookshelf. That's what it should do. Brian, thanks for joining me on the NBA Exchange, man. Absolutely. You already know.